who wants to rule the world and kill everybody that doesn't bow to him. Or he'll disguise himself as a liberal person who wants sin to run rampant in the lives of people and wants the Christians to shut up. And so when you understand the subtleties of the enemy, uh, you can be more attuned to what God would have you do as an individual to combat what he's doing in the earth. Whenever you can do good, the devil hates it. Whenever you can, can help somebody to be free from sin or you free from uh, sickness or something, the devil hates that because he puts that on people to control them. Amen? He gets people hooked on drugs so he can control them. He gets people uh, hooked on uh, 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 um, immoral lifestyles so he can control them. And so when you step in and do something that stops his control in the lives of other people, trust me, he'll find a way to get a stop to that if he can. But God, God says, I'll make an utter end. Huh? When I'm done with something, I'm done with it. Amen. If when I want it to stop, it will stop. Amen. So he doesn't let things go on forever. Amen. And so uh, Nahum, the, the name Nahum really means comforter. And Nahum was a prophet that prophesied uh, to Israel. You know that the prophets of old didn't just run around the church prophesying houses and cars to people. They got out there in the streets where somebody would throw a rock at them and kill them if they didn't like what they said. See, it's easy to be a prophet when you're around people who want their fortunes told. Because that's really all it is. It's just a fortune-telling thing. You got me? When prophets start to declare things that are hard for people to receive, then they don't want to hear that anymore. They go read the Bible for themselves and get something straightened out. But, but prophets of old had to go where God sent them. Many of them were stoned to death uh, because they didn't like the message. Uh, uh, many of them were, were uh, persecuted beyond measure when you think about it. Uh, I remember a situation, I think it was Robert Lairdon went to heaven, and he said he met the Apostle Paul. And uh, let me think. He, he met several of the patriarchs. Enoch was one of the people that he met. And uh, Enoch asked me, he said, did you read much about me in the Bible? I guess Enoch had issues. He's only mentioned a little bit. Of <laughs> he said he met the apostle Paul. He said, he's a little small man. He, he sounds like Norval Hayes. <laughs> you know, all kinds of hey man, unique things. But uh, he was saying that, uh, I forget which one of the prophets, and they said, well, you know, you may not see much about me in the Bible because I would go into town, he said, and, and people would run in fear and run away from me. Huh? Or they'd run me out of town and stone me. And so many of the what we call minor prophets are minor because the message that they had was not one that you could stand there and make a living off of preaching. You got me? <laughs> it, it was kind of like a hit and run. I'm going to go here and drop this word and see if I survive to see <laughs> what the rest is. Many of them were in prison. Jeremiah was in prison. Uh, many of them uh, suffered right along with the people. Uh, they were threatened to be stoned. Isaiah was one of those, you know, that it was threatened to be stoned. And, and uh, um, uh, trying to think the prophet during the time of Jezebel and, and Ahab. Uh, 
Elijah, absolutely. And and they were chased out of town and, and threatened and, and that kind of stuff. There were prophets who were uh, killed by kings, kings of Israel, the kings they were called to serve. So it's not always an easy job when you do the job God gives you to do. Amen. And so these prophets had to go through much humiliation and a lot of persecution in order to carry the word of the Lord into a wicked and uh, perverse uh, atmosphere. And that was what the Assyrians had created in their nation. God will not deal with the same adversary over and over and over again. When he's done, he's done. Amen. He knows how to get rid of stuff that's, that's not any good anymore. It hasn't served its purpose anymore. Many times God would use foreign nations to demonstrate his word and the adverse effects of not uh, obeying his word to his people. Many times the nation of Israel would lose wars because they were not walking with God the way God told them to. So God would have them. His, God's word to Israel was, I've given you a land, but there are inhabitants on it. And God commanded them to drive the inhabitants out. Well, how do you drive them out? You have to do it under God's power. But if Israel was not being obedient to God, his power didn't work. In the day of battle. You know I mean? So that's how when Joshua took the children of Israel into the promised land, the city of Jericho fell quickly because Joshua had a step-by-step map for how to do that. We even have taken some of his methods. They work so well and were so impressive because he got them from God. We've even taken some of his methods and made doctrine out of it. Remember the Jericho march? You could take everything by running around it seven times. Amen. And shouting. And so we, we did that many times. You know, now, sometimes it is God prompting you to do it, but sometimes you didn't pick that up for you. You understand? Like running around somebody's husband seven times. Running around somebody's paycheck seven times. Somebody's car seven times. He ain't told you to do all that. Huh? But at Jericho, because they obeyed God, amen, anything God would have told them, who would have thought a city would fall, the wall of a city would, and these walls, this, it wasn't like, you know, that wall we got supposedly protecting us from Mexico, patch here, patch there, but some of those walls, the boulders, you know, the boulders were like 13 and 15 feet wide, so there was a uh, uh, bricks stacked upon bricks. It wasn't like building a chimney or building this wall right here. It was maybe 15 times as thick as this wall all around. And that wall fell not like that, and it didn't crumble. It went, the ground opened it up, and it says, shoop, like a curtain, it fell. Because people who have come in and excavated, remember God said, nobody rebuild this wall. Whoever rebuilds this wall will build it with the blood of their firstborn. And the guy who came and tried to build it many years later, his son, he dedicated his firstborn son and slayed him and, and buried him as a cornerstone to rebuild Jericho. And so that's what it would take to resurrect something that God had put down. You understand me? It takes a, a demonic power of high degree 
to rebel against God to that level. And so Jericho then became a hallmark of the power of God to an inexperienced military army. And as long as they followed God, many times they would not have to lift a finger to fight. Or they would go in and fight whoever was left and just take their stuff. Uh, uh, it was, who was it? The one that made the, the, the uh, sundial standstill go backwards. Might have been Joshua. But they were, they had, there, there was so much jewelry and fine things left on the battlefield. Their swords were made of brass. When you fought somebody, you fought it for stuff. You didn't fight them, fight them just to say, I'm the boss. You were fighting for land, property, things, uh, cattle. All those possessions became yours when you, that's how people live. That was the hustle, okay? You had to go out and, at least you, they had to work, though. You know, they had to fight for what you wanted. But, but they were so long in gathering the spoils that the sun went down. And Joshua commanded it to go back. And do you know people who, the, the uh, uh, chronologers and, and weather people and people that keep up with time since time began cannot account for three hours of time? that the sundial or a whole day it was i think there's a day missing when they try to add up how where the days went and if we have an accurate uh understanding of the time that that has gone since man has been here it's amazing what god does to an obedient people who will do what he tells them to do what he tell them to do he said don't be scared be strong and courageous because i am with you to do these things for you and so Joshua got, got uh, comfortable, I think, in the battle of Ai. They went up and lost some people. They went up. They were going to go up and take that city and, and lost some people. And, and Joshua was shocked and scared, but he had enough sense to go back to God. Listen, when you get scared and shocked, go to God. Don't be running from him trying to hide what you're scared. You did something wrong and you can't fix it. Amen. Well, you did something wrong and you can't fix it. But that won't stop you. shouldn't stop you from going to God. He's the only one who can fix it for you. And so Joshua, they, they go up to the battle of Ai. He went up presumptuously. What they, He presumed that because he won the last one, this one going to be a piece of cake. And so when they didn't win that battle and, and some of their people were killed and they had to retreat, Joshua finally went to God and asked him what was wrong. It's best to go to God first, find out what to do right. It's easy to get correction after you done messed up. And he found out that there was somebody who had stolen some of the accursed things. He said, there is a curse in your land because there was somebody when they went to collect all the spoils, God would tell them what to take. He would tell them, don't take these things because they've been dedicated to another God. And there was a garment that, uh, who was it? Was You know, I forget all these names. I shouldn't. Uh, huh? Yeah, thank you. It was Aiken. Yeah, he wanted, he said, there was a goodly Babylonish garment. Uh, 
that I just had to have and some silver and stuff like that. And, and so, but God would have told him that before because if God says destroy something, destroy it. If he said leave somebody alone, they ain't good for you, leave them alone, they ain't good for you. Amen. If he tells you don't go over there, I don't care how much you say you witnessing the people, don't be rushing up in there. You understand what I'm saying? He's, you know, all these people who think they, they're so anointed and, and they got to be here and got to be there and got to be all over the place. Well, if your name ain't on that miracle, you ain't going to get to do it. So what, what are you rushing up there for? God got a lot, lot of people in the city. He told Paul that. People he can use everywhere. And so when God, though, when he would, when, when Israel would make an error and be disobedient, God was not with them. And they knew it. He was serious about that. The same way it is with us. If we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, it doesn't get anywhere. And I'm not saying things that may take a while in faith. But you know when you're, you're going against God, you get a, a, an, a, an announcement by the Holy Spirit in your spirit that something is off kilter. Amen. And so you, we have to discontinue doing those things and begin to do the right thing in God. Or we will suffer loss. We will have blessings with sorrow. Stuff will cost too much. Won't get paid on time. It's too big of a struggle. All of that stuff happens when we do things presumptuously. And so God has always used the enemies of his people as a sign of disobedience. Israel could not win a, a war against Assyria for the longest time. God even sent the prophet Jonah Remember, to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria at the time. And the Ninevites repented. They had enough sense to listen to God. So God would send his prophets to, to uh, talk or prophesy to the saint as well as the sinner. He sent them to prophesy to, to leaders and people in authority. You think God's scared of the White House? He'll send a prophet in there a minute and give somebody a message. You understand what I'm saying? And so we, we have to understand that God is God, period. Amen? He is God. And the, the good thing about us is that we're on his good side. Amen? He wants to do us good all the days of our lives. And it's easy to stay right with God. It's easy to stay right with him. And so in, uh, in Ecclesiastes 3, if you'll turn there for a minute, and I uh, just had to uh, give you this. It says here in Ecclesiastes 3, 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him or people will worship him. He puts a lock on his uh, decisions. He puts a lock on his word. He puts a lock on everything. It's a done deal. It's decided already. And so whatever God does lasts forever, and it cannot be undone. Nobody can add anything to it. That's why when you read uh, Proverbs four twenty that tells you attend to my word incline your ear to my sayings let them not depart from your eyes keep them in the midst of your heart why 
because that's where your life and your health comes from. So, and nothing can be added to that. The word, not the word and vitamins or the word and supplements. And it's not that these things are good for you, but don't ever think God's telling you to add all that stuff. Because nothing can be added to either. Whatever he does, it lasts forever. He's always healed people with his word. He's always healed people through them obeying his word. If you obey, see, the thing is people don't want to believe that that's all it takes to get their healing because they want to make God complicated. And see, you want to make the doctor simple and God complicated. Well, actually, it's really the reverse if you think about it. And all you have to do is listen and hear the word and decide you're going to believe it. That's it. And hold on to it when the devil tries to take it away from you. When symptoms hit your body and he's telling you, oh, you never, that's just, oh, it's getting worse. Oh, no, this, this is how people are when they're going downhill. You know, I have to fight that devil regularly. You know, when I was younger, it didn't, I didn't listen to stuff like that. Why you listen to him when you get older? I don't know. <laughs> yes, I do. But because <laughs> it sounds more credible when you're older. But it doesn't matter to God. He didn't say my word will stop working with age. It says, my word will work, period. Amen. So everybody has to fight their own battles to hold on to what God has given them. So that's mine. You've got yours, too. But everything God does will last forever. There's nothing wrong with choosing healthier food. Now, you know I'm not big on grease and fried stuff. I mean, I like it, but I know I can't have it all the time. It may not look like it all the time. You know what I'm talking about. You know, or always throwing, I love gravy. I could put gravy on a cardboard needed <laughs> and have a good time. But I know I can't just live in the land of gravy all the time. You understand what I'm saying? And so what it really calls for is what the fruit of the Spirit supplies to us is self-control. It doesn't say, it's, oh, that's rotten, that's nasty, that's no good, don't eat that. You know, come on now. The main people is telling you not to is sneaking and eating it. They are. Uh, that's why they're so hard on you. <laughs> and then people don't know what's good for them anyway. What's good in, in, the, in the United States is probably bad in China. I wonder why that is. You ever think about that? What people eat, they can stay healthy on almost anything. They have regional grace <laughs> and mercy from God. You know what the grace and mercy comes from? A little scripture that says, if you take it with thanksgiving and pray over it, it's sanctified and made holy and purified for your body. And that don't mean you can eat up as much as you want of it. But if somebody, if you get to a country and they eat grasshoppers, spiders, and worms, guess what? They will nourish your body, and you won't get sick from them if you pray over it and realize that the Holy Spirit is in you to take impurity out of things, to make things healthy for you, to cause you not to eat too much of the wrong thing. You understand me? And so we have a lot of help at our disposal rather than trying to add to the Word of God. 
and make God's word powerless and of none effect. There's a city, I think it's somewhere in the state of Oregon or Washington, where people live. This area has people with the longest life in the United States, or really in the world, the longest life and greatest health. You know what? who settled the city? Seventh-day Adventists. You know what they got going for them? They pray over their food. It's not that, I mean, come on now. These are religious people. They do not preach to God. These people are an offshoot of Christianity. They've got some legalism mixed in. You know, they think Sunday or Saturday is the Sabbath. They're real rigid about it. They obey God's word. They love God. But I bet you anything, everybody in their praise over their food. They eat sanctified food continually. You'll see that with the Quakers. You'll see that with a lot of groups that we could refer to as religious. And they are. Many of them don't preach being born again anymore. But they honor certain scriptures, and their scriptures bless them all the days of their life. So it's not hard to get benefit from God's word. But we are to keep that word before us all the time. It gets difficult sometimes, but you can win that war. You can fight to hold on to God's word. You want to hold on to it because you want to see that come to pass. It's just common sense after a while. When the doctors tell you no hope and the word tells you there's hope for you, you want that hope. So it just makes sense to hold on to it. It's not that hard. So God says in Nahum 1, and we'll go back there. This is a prophecy over the city of Nineveh. Now, this is after they repented in the time of Jonah, and now they're coming up against God again. At this time, though, Israel is held captive by Assyria. So Israel has disobeyed God enough and has not repented. Now God has them under foreign authority. It was the same thing when Jesus came. That's how Rome that's how Pilate got to be Jesus's judge because Israel had disobeyed God so much they were playing like they were serving God you know with the temple and the sacrifices and all the the rigmarole and ritual well they were backslidden the proof of it they weren't governing themselves anymore they had to go to Pilate to get somebody executed they had to go to Pilate to get somebody crucified they had had their trials in front of the Romans so they weren't They weren't under God's authority anymore. So the same thing is true here of Israel during Nahum's time. And in in, uh, chapter 1, he says, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, verse 2, The Lord is jealous, a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. So God... uh, He's jealous over his people. Now, if we disobey and we fall our, find ourselves falling into uh, struggles, maybe say a financial struggle, you know, you used to tithe and you quit. You get in there and let the devil talk you out of it. Amen. Uh, you need to keep doing it long enough to convince yourself it's the right thing to do. Y'all remember that from Chasing Boys chasing girls well he won't call me back 
And what you do, get on that phone that much tougher. <laughs> Instead of taking a hint and getting lost, you keep at it. Well, do that with God in your finances. Huh? Be at least that persistent. So God does things, we said, that last forever. And he is also a jealous and avenging God. And he protects what is his even when we're in disobedience. He is still your father. He's still your God. He's still your maker. He's still your creator. Even though the Assyrians were used to correct Israel and to demonstrate God's word to them. In other words, God is serious about his word. And if you run afoul of God, you're trying to fight an enemy that doesn't move. And so God let them know, you know, if you come back to me, you can get out from under the authority of the Assyrians. You can have your freedom back again. You can do what I tell you to do with freedom and with liberty. But many times they didn't listen to them, so they had to stay there. But then there came a day when God was done with it. You understand what I'm saying? He never leaves anybody under anybody else's authority forever. He won't leave you in a place. Say, for instance, you're believing God for a good job, and you're believing God for a promotion in your job. And if you stay there and you're faithful, God will not leave you there forever. I don't care what kind of boss you have. Sometimes you're under a mean boss because you need somebody because you have slack parents. I just put it like that. You know, sometimes it's like that. You can need a good dose of reality. You need to find out that people don't put up with your stuff. Amen? They have your butt sitting out on the unemployment line so fast. You know, you, oh, mama, I ain't getting up. I don't care. Make so-and-so do it. And I ain't going, you always making me do everything. I ain't getting up. Mm-hmm. One day, they'll throw you out of high school whether you graduate or not. A lot of times them kind don't graduate. They quit your weight, as we used to say. They throw you out there and you're trying to get a job and get all dressed up and talk real good and get in there. But if your habits are slothful and you don't measure up, God will put you under somebody who will watch you real close and make you do the right thing that mom and daddy didn't make you do. See, now you want to prosper and you want to be the boss and you want to do all this stuff, but you're not qualified because you haven't demonstrated faithfulness under the hand of a master. And so this is the way Israel was. They would not demonstrate faithfulness under the hand of God, so he would allow them. He couldn't fight for them in battle because of their disobedience, because that was his word too. And so many times they get in a battle or they be sitting there thinking they're getting away with murder with God and all of a sudden they get attacked by somebody. And this is how the Assyrians treated them. They would come in and take from them. Remember in the, uh, the time of the judges where Gideon, there were the Midianites that fought them. And Gideon was trying to hide some barley that he had poured, <laughs> sold his little seed somewhere where nobody knew it was. And it came up and gathered it. So he in there in the middle of after midnight trying to get him some barley so he could eat it. And an angel shows up. Well, he thought nobody knew he was there. Well, God knew he was there. 
But what the Midianites would do, they're so dirty, they let Israel plant the crops. At harvest time, they start gathering the harvest to try to get some food out of it, and they come and rob them and take everything, and they couldn't even, huh? God's people. See, it pays to obey God. But God's a merciful God, and he's a jealous God. And he's not going to let the enemy run over us forever. You got me? No matter how disobedient you are. He'll let it happen long enough for us to learn, you know what? I should have done what God told me to do. I wouldn't be in this mess up and in here. And so that's what was happening with the the nation of Israel during the time of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a very mean and brutal people. They would come into a place, burn up everything, murder everybody, and just keep tramping they just were a fierce and angry mob of people but god allowed his children to live kind of peacefully under their authority all the assyrians were able to do really to israel was to make them pay taxes so that they could live they didn't own anything of their own and so god did was not even pleased with that because god says his people are the head and not the tail they will never borrow they will lend to people they have their own property and their own possessions. He has them laid up for us. So at times God would come down to Israel in his great mercy and rescue them because somebody was probably crying out to God. We see that in when Israel was under uh, Egypt's control, that the children of Israel sighed, the Bible said, by reason of their bondage. In other words, they're out working hard in the heart, son making bricks and then making straw to put the bricks together and they would just go and god heard it and sent a deliverer for them amen so he will make an utter end folks he will not see us without forever even when we don't obey him and i think that's amazing about god we have more potential amen He knows that if he can get us to obey him, the great things that we can do in the earth, and he looks at that rather than look at our sins and look at our disobedience. He's a marvelous God. So he says in verse 2, he's jealous and angry. He's an avenging God, and he protects what's his. So when the enemy's power gets too strong against you, God will step in to protect you. Do it every single time. Assyria had captured Israel and Judah and taken some Israelites captive. In 1 Chronicles 5.26, it tells you the scenario, the backdrop for this. They they, uh, uh, captured actually what used to be the most powerful tribes in the nation of Israel. And that was uh, um, uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Remember them them three people? When they got to the promised land and they were to cross the Jordan and everybody was supposed to settle over there, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said, No, let us clear this out here. Let us fight the enemy on this side. Why? Because they were so anxious to obey God. They were, they were eager to receive their inheritance, and they didn't mind fighting for it. So they were really set apart as the stronger tribe, and because they were on this side of the Jordan and the other side, I don't know if it's east, west, north, or south, but it's, they always refer in the Bible as this side of the Jordan. 
Everybody else was across the Jordan. They became kind of a fortress for the rest of the ten and a half tribes that were left on the other side of the Jordan River. So they were a great fighting force to protect the rest of that whole nation. Because the rest of them didn't want to fight. They whined out. You know the story about Israel. They didn't want to get, go in and do anything. And so they, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were actually finally captured by the Assyrians. So that's bad news. There's nothing left then for the people to defend themselves. And so God is jealous and angry. Assyria has captured his finest fighting forces. But they were captive because of their disobedience. But God remembers who belongs to him. He never forgets who belongs to him. And so God then begins to pronounce judgment on Assyria. It says the Lord takes vengeance on his foes. This is in verse 2. And vents his wrath against his enemies. Verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. Which means God is not a hothead. He's not flipping off and trying to kill everybody and impatient with people. He has a plan for people, and that makes him slow to anger. He'll watch things for a while. He'll observe things for a while. And then he'll decide how to proceed in things, but he always does it after the counsel of his own will. Nahum verse, uh, 1 verse 3 God remembers who belongs to him. He's slow to anger, but great in power. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, let me just put an aside here. But if you wait to throw a party because your enemy's going to get it, he's going to wait until you over yourself. <laughs> oh, <So if> you think. <laughs> Remember that. Um, they turned the, uh, the book Scrooge into a musical. I like musicals. Amen. Rachel likes music. He'll write, used to watch him with me, watch a lot of musicals. But um, when Scrooge was, you know, he died. And it, it, the whole story revolves around him uh, 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 getting visitations, and one of them has to do with his death, which happens in the future. And he was such a miser. But he would lend people money, and they never got out of debt paying him. So uh, he, they see a, uh, the, the ghost of Christmas future, whoever it was, come in and showed him uh, what they do when they find out he's dead. And so they come and take everything out of his office, and they're dancing on his coffin, singing, thank you very much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. You understand what I'm saying? It's they tap danced on his coffin when they took him out of his office. You know, he died in their account money, no doubt. But if you're waiting to do that for your boss who's mean to you or your whoever it is, like your uh, third grade teacher that didn't give you a, a B when you think you were supposed to get a B or something like that, you can keep, keep uh, waiting because it's not going to happen. God will prolong their mercy just so his kids don't get in trouble again. Rejoicing in iniquity. Amen? We're supposed to rejoice in truth. <laughs> so, so God, it says here, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. He takes an account of everything. Everything has to add up to God. We said before, during Jonah's time, God warned Nineveh to repent, and they did. 
Remember when Jonah finally went and preached to him? And really, part of what God took into account was the prophet's attitude against the, uh, the, the Assyrians. Jonah said when, when he finally did go and prophesy to him, oh, after you spend three, three nights in the stomach of a fish, you know, you probably think twice about what you did. You get plenty of time to realize that there's something wrong because I don't usually live like this. You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> my surroundings have changed. <laughs> I got a downgrade in my, my uh, housing. And so when you, when you see that, you, you come, become repentant and think again. And Jonah had a famous line in that, that, uh, that uh, book that I, I often meditate on and think about. is they who observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Amen. He thought he could run away from God. He thought he could disobey God. He thought he could get away with it. Why? And, and at the end, he tells it. He, he says... To God, after he prophesies to the people, they repent and God spares the city. And Jonah said, I knew you were going to do this. He said, I knew it. I knew you weren't going to kill nobody. You're a merciful God. Well, if that's what he's thinking, he probably thought he could get away with not obeying God because God's too merciful. You see what I'm saying? See, your own lying vanity will come back and bite you. You've got to be believing God the way he is and not the way your mind has told him he is. Or somebody else has told you he is. See, God won't be merciful forever, but he won't be angry forever either. But he ain't going to tell you what he's getting ready to do. Amen. He does things after the counsel of his own will. So he gets everybody straight. When God moves, everybody gets straight. And that's the kids and the, the disobedient ones, the sinners. And so God knows how to get his will done. That's what he wants to do. So he got Jonah straightened out. Well, I hope so, because Jonah still was a little ticked off at the end of the... But he understood God a whole lot better than he did before. But because he's slow to anger, that doesn't mean he doesn't ever get angry. Amen? He does. So the Assyrians made the mistake of thinking they could do to God's people what they wanted to without penalty. You can never... Do what you want to do in this life without sow it without reaping on what you sow. You just you just can't live like that. There's always a drawback. Now, for Christians, and I know people say, What's she talking about? We don't have the curse is broken. There's no curse on the new new covenant. But you can live worse than living in the curse, because at some point the curse is, is over with. There was a time limit set on all of them. And God could cut a curse short in his mercy if he felt he wanted to. But you can live without the assurance of God. You can live without relationship with God. You can, your salvation will be nothing more than a memory of a confession you made many years ago. If you don't make up your mind, you're going to obey God. And so there's, to me, there are worse things. There's that, that sense of being abandoned. Because you don't obey God's law. That's a sense of being on the outside of everything. Because you don't fully cooperate with what God has for you to do. There's a sense of not belonging because you don't, don't follow the instruction that God gives over a body of believers. That's why churches have 
little groups and cliques all the time because people don't, there isn't like a main flow that people can flow into so that you can get that feeding that you need and get that assurance that you need and, and walk in divine health and participate and do your prayer and be invested in what God is doing and understand what God is doing. And so when, when you have a mandate to do certain things in God, those things have to be obeyed. You see? And so God, because he, he will not put up with things forever. So to me, there are worse things than being under the curse, whatever that means. You know, that the God doesn't bring that back anyway. You understand what I'm saying? People who are, are, are not born again, to me, you're worse than cursed. You know, the little no blessings, no this, no that. That's nothing compared to your eternal fate if you don't receive Christ. And so the curse is kind of meaningless to us in this day and age because we, it doesn't really mean anything. Why? God did away with it. You understand what I'm saying? It was a penalty for breaking his law. It's done away with. That's how you can stay encouraged in your walk with God. If that curse was still on the new covenant, you'd be so discouraged. Churches would be emptier than they are now. This world would be full of hell because believers wouldn't stay faithful. Because they well, what am I doing this for? The sinners are having more fun than I am. You understand what I'm saying? With no penalty almost. And so God knows what he's doing. So the curse of the law is broken. But I think there are worse things. There, there are times when you can, can, can feel that you need God to do things for you, but you can't get any help. And you say, I'm saved. Why am I in this situation? And so don't count that as something cheap. You understand me that, that the curse is broken because God wants us to live in harmony and fellowship with us. He wants us to live in peace with him and with one another. He wants us to have a view about ourselves that he has about us, how much he loves us and cares for us, doesn't want us to break a sweat in anything, you know, those kinds of things. And if you don't have that, to me, that's worse than some penalty for your sin that God will do away with at some point. You understand me? That sense of abandonment that comes on somebody who's blood-bought, that's, that's a horrible feeling. And there are many people who live like that. People go to churches and make a little confession of Christ when they're small and then never get that sense of being adopted by God so they can be faithful to the word and walk with God and have relationship with him. And so to me, that sense of abandonment after you, you have confessed Christ and you believe you belong that's worse than anything that you could get from, from disobeying and, and get a penalty. Give me the penalty, but love me and let me know I belong somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? But, but don't let that play on words mess your head up. Because God knows how to deal with these things and how to do away with them so that we can live in harmony and peace with, with him. So God is slow to anger. And this is what leads people to mistakenly believe that they will be able to disobey God without suffering any kind of loss for it. There are some things that happen to you that are the, 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 the result of your disobedience. If you don't sow certain things, you won't reap. If you, but, you know, if you, if you sow, God will cause your, if you sow righteousness, righteousness because it's perfect and there's nothing wrong with it 
you always get a bigger crop than you do on unrighteousness that you sow. Now, that may not sound right. It may not sound fair, but that's true. Because there's no penalty against the righteous seed. So it grows up the way God says he wants it to grow up. And that's how you can get committed to God even when you're a new Christian. Because the righteousness growing up in you is far overshadowing any kind of of sinful thought that you might have. That's why you run to God the minute you think something wrong. Oh, God, what did I say? What did I do? Tell me, help me, help me. Because you like that righteous feel. You like that. You like that relationship, and you want to cultivate that and cause that to grow in your life in a greater greater way. That's why people get committed to, to churches and can't wait to get in church, some of them. You know what I'm saying. It's good if you can't. You know what I'm saying. Because you you understand there's something different now in your life, and you know where it comes from, and you want to cause that to be greater than anything else in your life. So you get more invested in what God's doing. You get more invested in acts of righteousness. You want to find out if you can help at the church. You don't like sitting around when you see everybody else up working. You want to do you want to be more invested in these things. Well, if righteousness was not more powerful than iniquity and ungodliness, you couldn't feel that way. You'd be wanting to go back to the world every five minutes if God didn't orchestrate things that way. And if he didn't break the curse off of your life, you you would be doing something good and something bad, and they'd be growing at the same rate, and you'd still be confused and not know which way to go. And so thank God the curse is broken. Thank God there's no penalty. Thank God you can repent. I remember we used to say, you know, say wrong things, and we'd yell, crop failure. Remember that? <laughs> but you didn't understand that God had all that under control anyway. You know, all you got to do is repent. God sees your heart, and he said, well, you know, I'll get past, you know. Like, like my dad used to say, I'll pass and let you go. And so it's, it's wonderful. And so let God handle that stuff. He knows how to deliver uh, punishment. He knows how to bless. He knows how to help. He is the God who kills and makes alive. You got to understand that he is all-powerful. Don't be like Jonah. Think God's some patsy up there, letting everybody get away with everything. That's not the way it is. So the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. He'll not leave the guilty unpunished. He has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. So he's, I mean, think about the things that come upon your life that take you by surprise, that you have no defense for, come out of nowhere. You know, somebody wants to, uh, you know, you get a kid that's in trouble at school out of nowhere. You didn't even know he wasn't going every day. Amen? And so those things, God has his way in that. So instead of hiding from God, you go to him right away. Instead of saying, I I didn't raise that boy like that. It won't help you anyhow. Amen? He out there doing wrong stuff. It ain't about how he was raised at this point. It's about what's raising him. (laughs) so he has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet amen he walks upon the clouds the bible says he has all authority and all power he's not afraid of anything and he knows what he wants to do he knows the thoughts he had towards you and me he knows the thoughts that he thinks toward us 
And they're always thoughts of good to do us good in the end, to give us an expected end or an end that we expect, not a surprise. And so, and, and that doesn't mean at the end of your life. That means period in any situation that you're in. He, he has you with a good expectation of good. He controls even weather that's uncontrollable. You got me? That's how, you know, people used to laugh at Pat Robertson speaking to him. He lives on the beach, and he got a lot of property there and a school and all that stuff to protect. You know that brother going to talk to the wind if he can. He's going to talk to anything he can to protect all of that. And somebody, I think, uh, secular you know, uh, you know, fake news people or, you know, media people, whoever they are, uh, found out he was prophesying to the wind or prophesying to a tornado and tried to make fun of him. Well, they quit making fun all of a sudden because that thing stopped dead in his tracks. They didn't want to print that in the paper. Huh? That's why when he ran for president, he had everybody scared. Uh, you know, it's a blessing in a way he didn't because look at what's happened to the ministry since then. But you should have seen people scrambling to do something to discredit him and pull him down. Huh? That's the last thing they want to do is see somebody praying tongues sitting up there in the White House running everything. Amen. So God dries up the seas and the rivers. He's in charge of famine and he's in charge of flood. Now, people say the devil does. devil ain't big enough to do all of that. You got me? The reason you know God's in charge of it is because he could stop it. If the devil was in charge of something, God wouldn't even be able to stop it. You got me? And so God allows these things to come into being because his mercy dries up after a while. So that's in verse 4. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither at the blossom, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. So even these places that are known to be prosperous and flourishing places will experience famine. People will say things like in the news, if, if bad weather breaks out, unusual bad weather breaks out in a place. And they'll say, oh, this is very unusual for that time. But you can pretty much chart there's been a flood almost everywhere in the world. There's been famine almost everywhere in the world. There's been water to pour out through the desert almost everywhere in the world. Why? Because God's in control of all of that. You know, even pagan people know there's some God in charge of everything. Native American people had a ritual, a prayer, and a dance for almost everything they needed. Because they knew it was somebody bigger than they were that was controlling all of it. And they wanted to get in touch with him. When things went, went bad, they would have a rain dance. When things were good, they would have a celebration dance. So even the, the heathen know that there is a God. But we know the one true and living God, the real God. And that's the one we want to talk about. So he dries up the sea and the rivers. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. You ever seen a, a mountain just collapse? That's God. That ain't the devil doing that. That's God. The mountains quake before him. He says here, and who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and rocks are shattered before him. But the Lord is good. Huh? 
he's got all this power and he can do all of this stuff and every now and then he gives us a taste of his extreme power but he is good huh when he has to do something destructive it's for good you got me after the counsel of his own will now we can't understand it because we're not god but in the end you need to know and understand and accept the fact that your god is good he is also a refuge in times of trouble the bible says though the earth be removed and the fountains dry up and the earth be removed and and the mountains fall into the depths of the sea you can still trust yet will i praise him yet will i exalt the god of my salvation so what this this verse is saying he can do all this stuff and you may see him doing it but if you get on his good side if you remember he's good and you repent and you ask for his mercy he will protect you he will be your stronghold and your refuge in difficult times and this was about to come on the assyrians because god was fed up with how they were uh treating his people in fact this this is the end of the nation of assyria after this it existed no more so that's why nam one night says he'll make an utter end amen where he done with stuff it does not exist anymore amen and so it says here who can stand before his great indignation when god is angry nobody can stop him all you can do is cry out for his mercy just get on his good side don't try to stop what he's trying to do you don't know the whole story you don't know what's going on and don't prophesy doom and gloom when god isn't planning any you know people would say all this stuff is getting ready to happen and going on how would they know how would they know many people don't even crack their bible enough to know what god's thinking about them from time to time you can read some of that stuff and see it doesn't come out of god's spirit it comes out of spirit of condemnation amen and judgment and so god is not going to judge somebody because you mad at him but he is good and he's a refuge in time you think of worry about you don't be concerned about all these wicked people and when they go get it and all these people look at these people what they doing on tv just turn it off and don't quit buying cable huh put your money in the offering if it's so bad you know <laughs> he cares for those who trust in him but with an overwhelming flood he's going to make an end of Nineveh Nineveh had a chance to repent once before because they were held held holding the children of Israel captive at that time that's how God had to send a prophet whenever you are entangled with god's people god is going to send somebody to you to talk to you you got me you need to know that you need to know that about your mean boss you need to know that about your mean husband or your mean wife or whoever you're dealing with in your life that's mean you understand what i'm saying god will will whenever his people are involved in it he will deal with those people in charge he'll tell them stuff he'll wake them up and talk to them huh he always does but don't ever think that you're in a position of uh inferiority and you don't have help you need to believe god is going to make an utter end to things that are not good in your life whatever it is and call for an utter end ask god god there's nothing with you to help me in this situation now i'm trying to make ends meet these people don't pay me enough you talk to somebody somewhere because i'm done with this nonsense 
and ask him to make another end. Many times people, we're being held captive in these jobs. I hate to say it, but, you know, you really can't think of it any other way because there's nothing better on the horizon. You know, you send your resume, you go apply, you do all these things, and nothing moves. Well, you need to find out what to do to break the bondage of your captivity. Now, God, I want out of this, and I mean out of this. You know, and mean it once and for all. I mean, it's just, you know, it's nonsense. The devil is very subtle sometimes. You know, and you'll, well, parts of the job, it's not so bad. Mm -mm. Watch what you say ain't so bad. Because it might be bad in God's eyes, and he might want you out of there bad, but he can't do anything until you give him permission to do it. So watch out for not so bad situations. When you make up your mind you want out, keep it like that. Keep wanting out. Keep looking for things. Keep pressing against it, especially if it's holding you captive to a degree. Amen? So God's going to always take care of you, but you have things that you want to see happen too. And that's what he wants for us. Amen? And he says, uh, whatever they plot against the Lord. I like this. Whatever they plot against the Lord. When they plot against you and you're obeying God, they're plotting against God. Huh? God knows and cares for those who take refuge in him. So you always go to God. Don't stay mad at these people you work for. It's not worth it. You know, be pleasant. Go do your job. You know, be friendly to people. Let them know you're a Christian. You know, that's what they hate, number one. You know, you may think you're hiding it from people, but they know. You know, God will let them know. Huh? He'll out you. Huh? Is that what they say? <laughs> you, you get out at one time. Huh? Now, if you bring in a rosary in there, they just look at you and say, but he knows how to out the real ones, you know. You'll come in there one day, and they'll start looking at you funny. You've just been outed. You've just been outed. So he knows and cares for those who take refuge in him and who trust him. God, I trust him. God, I trust you, but I want out of this job. God, I trust you, but this job is not making the end. In fact, they ain't even waving at each other, let alone me. Your word says I'm supposed to have abundance, and I'm asking for abundance. Amen? I want it now. I'm going to be diligent in my work. Correct me if I'm doing things that are not getting me where I want to go. But I know i got better things on the horizon, and I want them. Amen? He'll protect them in the day of trouble. That's us. Sometimes, and this is, is could be a possibility, Sometimes we stay in places longer than we like to. It's because God is protecting us from some kind of misfortune ahead. You know, sometimes people will say, well, I transferred to this company and now they say they're going bankrupt or something like that. Couldn't wait for God to promote us and get us out the right way. But just tell God about it. He'll get you back in a place of safety. You need to start prophesying then. This place is going to be here a whole lot longer in Jesus' name. He knows how to get us in gear. So it says, 
Who can imagine? What can you imagine against the Lord? In other words, what can you think up that's going to stop God from being God? That's what he says. He says, what they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come up a second time. And this was good news for the nation of Israel because they did not like being under bondage of the Assyrians. They knew it was because they messed up. But when once you know you messed up, your time of breakthrough or turnaround will not come immediately. You got me? Sometimes God has to put things in motion for your release. You know, people want to, well, you know, I found out I was doing this wrong. And then they want a total reversal in one day, you know. And so, and sometimes God will do that. But if it has to linger, it's because God wants to get you in position to step into the next thing that he has for you. Look at Joseph. Joseph was in prison. You know, and here this boy has to adjust to living with pagan people. He has to adjust to being unjustly accused. I mean, most of us, you know what I'm saying. We'd have got with that gang that was breaking out every night. You know what I'm saying? Got back in there the next morning or whatever. Got killed or something. But God put Joseph in that position because he knew he would endure. You are never in any position ahead of your ability to obey God through the whole process. You've got to look at the process, folks. It's not about, for Joseph, it was getting out, getting out, getting out, getting out until he wasn't getting out. Then he started thinking, maybe there's a reason I ain't getting out. And if I continue to serve God in God's time, I will get out, but I can't force my getting out. And he was tempted to do it, tried it a couple times. You know, and the the butcher and the baker with the dreams they had. And all of a sudden, God shows up on Joseph again like he did when he was a young boy. See, when, when abilities in God get you in trouble sometimes, you don't want them anymore. And I'm sure when Joseph got thrown in that pit and he finally got pulled out of there, he said, hmm. I used to like them dreams, but I don't think I like them no more. See, you can resist the gifts of God if you don't like where you think they're going to take you. Huh? Sometimes you're called to preach, and you don't like what you see happen to preachers. You'll refuse the gift of God. Don't look at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. Huh? Sometimes you're called to wait before you move out in life. Everybody wants to get this, get that, be this, be that. And you get to get in the bin and you found out there's a whole lot more to it than you thought was to it. And you say, mm, I'm so sorry I want to get and be. Because huh? here me is. It ain't too pleasant all the time. And see, God tried to tell you to slow your roll. Don't jump out ahead of me because it's rough out there. Huh? So God knows how to make an utter end of things, and he knows the timing of doing everything. When you're sick and tired of it, it's just the time when you should be start getting comfortable in there. I'm sick and tired. I think this might 
you know, last for a while. Mm-hmm. Just be prepared. And like Joseph, he just made up his mind. He said, well, I'm just going to set up housekeeping down here in prison and work for me in my last job. I'll start organizing things, making myself useful around here, and, you know, make sure everybody's lined up in their chains against the wall, and I'll put mine on, and the jailer will see I'm trustworthy. So he was able to give Joseph a lot of freedom in there, just like he had it with Potiphar. So Joseph knew how to adapt. He knew how to not stress himself out trying to get with the rough bunch that was always plotting to get out the next night. You understand? He probably saw enough happen to them kind of people. He said, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to trust God, serve God, get back in my principles that I've always lived by, be a man of integrity, be a man who's trustworthy. If you don't think the prisoners picked at him because of that, I got news for you. So he knew what it was going to cost him to be the the snitch, so to speak, down there in the jail. But he knew that if he obeyed God, God would protect him even in that position. So he stepped into that. And then one day the dreams came back. And he found out that the dreams were from God. Why? Because they came to pass. I'm not going to go there. But y'all stay off Facebook in the prophecy every time you look up from these people. That, you understand what? There's no way to judge if it comes to pass. It's not directed to anybody. Amen. If you're sitting in a con- congregation, the word of the Lord comes forth and you can receive it. It's coming from the Spirit of God. That builds you up. This stuff don't do nothing but scatter people. And the person that's saying is stupid enough. It's, it's a good thing God is merciful and overlooks things. He said, prophesy. That ain't no prophecy. Ah, they just talking. I'm going to let, let y'all figure it out. You understand? It's your responsibility to know what's from God and what's not. But those, those prophecies, those dreams were interpreted correctly because they came to pass. And Joseph knew they would come to pass. Before he uttered them. Why? Because he had a relationship with the Lord. That relationship through everything he went through, his relationship with God was never broken. This is why God will make an utter end to the things that afflict us. Because he sees you serving him in spite of. In spite of the injustice, in spite of the false accusation, in spite of all of the things that will come against us, we must continue to serve God if we're going to see him make an utter end of these things. And he says, what do they plot against the Lord? He'll bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their own wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble from you, Nineveh. As one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. Now, I'm going to say something political because I feel it coming up. But one of the prayers we have is for rulers and leaders. I prayed that prayer ever since we've had this prayer manual. And one of the things, my personal prayer, was no Hillary Clinton in the White House. I wrote that. Mm, is right, huh? <laughs> hey, hey. See, everybody else holding their breath. You honestly, you keep being honest before God, okay, sweetheart? Huh? I, I didn't write lock her up. That shows I wasn't mean. I was just saying, don't put it in there. 
Amen. Because the mess that the Middle East is in is largely her incompetence and selfishness. Those people have run around the world with titles on them representing our country and have done nothing but amassed money for themselves. It's time for it all to stop. We pay too much money in taxes, too little to show for it. You send people down there, and I'm not a Republican-Democrat thing because Republicans go there and say they're going to change things, and they never do. So they get in the system and start draining money from everywhere, taking money from lobbyists, all that kind of things. But I, I made it my personal mission not to see that girl go back up in there. She'd been in there before. Got them people killed over there that were working for her. You know, you can't even work for people. That, uh-uh, no way. And then they promote an abortion. She's a grandmother and a mother. And it's going to say it's okay to take a baby being born halfway out the womb and then stick a puncture its, its spinal cord and kill it. Didn't we put a man in jail for doing that? No way. So as much as I had influence with God, I made that my personal mission. And I look at that even now after the election, and I keep declaring it. No Hillary Clinton, because I don't know how long she's going to live and when she might try to run again. But the door, <laughs> the door is already locked against her. And you Christians who like the Democrats, because there was a black man sitting up there, he ain't there no more. Huh? So don't be worshiping his memory. And sticking a crazy woman up in there. Because Hillary ain't no soul sister. Last time I looked, she ain't no soul sister. You got me? Just a thought. Nineveh was run by a wicked king. And God killed him. Amen. God puts people to death that don't do right. At least she getting a chance to live, okay? But she ain't getting up in there and getting no more of my dollars, no more nothing, 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 nothing. Yeah. Y'all can dislike me if you want to. I love you anyway. You got to love me. But that's the gist of it. When you get to be pastor, you can say what you want to say. <laughs> but you got to put this, you got to put these scriptures in, in modern situations. And understand, God does not love evil. He does. Some people are evil. You hear me? They just wicked people. They don't mean anybody any good. Their fruit is their followers. Look at the people that follow them. You got me? Out in the street with a vagina on their head. They got a vagina cap and a uterus cap marching around talking about a war on women. Huh? You see some of the spokespeople for them? Ashley Judd? Huh? Seriously, you want to be associated with that kind of thing? People are deranged anymore because witchcraft is rampant in our society. And it makes people totally crazy. They do totally crazy things. Get your kids, you send them to college, and they get out marching and doing that stuff. 
They do them like that lady. Remember that woman in, uh, where was it? Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Remember she saw her boy out there yeah. protesting yeah. <laughs> and acted like a mama, beat him all upside his head, made him come home. He thought he was going for bad. <laughs> he, he found out who was bad that day. Huh? <laughs> Praise God. So God is saying, this is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous. Okay, how many people come against you? Your boss and all the board and all them people and this committee and that committee and police and firemen and all them other people gang up against you. I don't care how many. But he decided he's going to end it utterly. He's going to end it utterly. Uh, I mean, no more. He says, although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Bye-bye. Although I have afflicted you, child of God. Amen. Amen. I will afflict you no more. Hmm? No more. To his enemies, there's never a, I won't afflict you anymore. There's an utter end. He makes an utter end of the enemies, but his children get afflicted no more. Good to be a child of God. He says, the Lord gave a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. That is the White House. All the idols are getting destroyed there. I will prepare a grave for you are vile. So God's prepared a grave for the forces of darkness that that, uh, come against his people. He said, look, there on the mountains, the feet of those who bring good news, proclaiming peace. Amen. God always has a peaceful person or a peaceful administration to follow people who follow wickedness. He said, celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked evade you, for they will be completely destroyed. So that's what God does for us, folks. He makes an utter end. I don't care who it is coming against you. I don't care how many they get. If they get more people, that just means God's going to do more destruction. He don't care how many they get and pile up against you. But he makes an utter end and he protects his people. Amen. All right. Why don't we stop? Well, Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for loving us.